Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with another episode of The Yacking Show. And we're bringing you a wider range of actionable business tips and ideas than you will find practically anywhere else on the internet. First, let's introduce Kathleen Beauvais from Waterloo, Ontario, my co-host. Hi, Kathleen. Take it away. (laughs) Thank you so much, Peter. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. Today, we have the great privilege, and I'm so excited about this, to have Dr. Michael Solomon on the show today. Hello, Michael. How are you? Hello, Kathleen. Thanks so much for having me on. Now, Dr. Michael Solomon is a professor of marketing and an expert in consumer behavior. And today he will be talking to you about why people would want to buy your products and services. He's also the author of the most widely read book on consumer behavior in the world entitled Buying, Having, and Being. Can't wait to delve into this topic. So, Michael, just for our listeners, so they can get to know you a little better, can you tell us how you became so interested in the buying habits of consumers? Well, I I guess it helps that I like to shop myself. But, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, I was trained as a a social psychologist. And, um, you know, it was in those days, it it was considered somehow impure to look at possessions, you know, in in psychology. It just it was all about uh, uh, for example, I was very interested early on in in, in how our appearance, our, our physical appearance affects the way that people treat us. And um, and as you can guess, uh, it turns out that a lot of that has to do with the types of, of possessions that we have as well, the types of categories that people put us into based on what they see us uh, wearing or driving, et cetera. And so I, I really became fascinated by this idea of the interplay between these these fairly simple possessions and very very important issues about how we think about ourselves uh, how we think about others etc and um, so that's why I went into marketing instead of pure psychology I became a consumer psychologist and I've never looked back it's uh, it's been fascinating over the years I've had the chance to work with a lot of great companies uh, to help them with their products uh, and and really help them to understand that, you know, basically, as I, as I always like to say, we, we don't buy things because of what they do. Uh, we buy them because they mean. And so whether you're an entrepreneur or uh, Coca-Cola, you've got to understand that what you're selling is not a product. You're selling a story. You're, you're selling meanings and symbols and, if you're not able to get your head around that, your competitors probably will. So it's been kind of a natural transition, I think, to go from uh, studying what's inside here to what's what's on us, you know, rather what's in us to what's on us, I guess you might say. And, uh, you know, so many of the products and services that people sell uh, are related to how we think about ourselves. And so certainly anybody, any of your listeners who are in the B2C space, business to consumer uh, this is relevant to them, but uh, you know, B two B as well. It's most of our decisions are not as rational as we'd like to think. Yeah, very much so. Um, but <clears throat> buying stuff because of what they mean rather than what they do is 
is that not more the uh, the body looking gas? Uh, I have an ESO gas station is my closest, and out of convenience, I will normally go to the ESO gas station. But if I happen to be on the way back from the city and need gas, and the Petro Canada, which we have up here, is two cents a litre cheaper, I'll go in there. I have absolutely no brand loyalty to ESO for two cents a litre. So. At that scale of consumer products, is is the whole thing of image less important? Uh, That's it, what I'm trying well, to ask you. certainly, based on your story, it's obviously less less important, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. You know, what you've uh, right. what you've just identified is the central challenge that branding strategists have, and that is turning a generic into a story or into into a brand that that we cherish. So, for example, if if a uh, if a gas station starts to offer other kinds of rewards or Maybe even brands the gasoline, you know, as the, uh, I don't know, Kim Kardashian brand or something like that. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, we, we see this all the time. What we think of as unimportant, you know, everyday things, uh, it still matters to many people what they buy because they're again they're buying that story and maybe they have some connection sure, to sure. That yeah, i mean going back to my case i do have a loyalty card for esso my local garage so local gas station so unless there's a significant saving somewhere else and it's convenient to be somewhere else i will mm-hmm. i will still go back to my normal so yeah you're right back to you kathleen um, you say in your book, Michael, the the book t- entitled The New Chameleons, How to Connect with Consumers Who Defy Categorization, that the familiar mass market segmentation strategies many companies have traditionally used for long time are no longer as relevant as in a postmodern consumer culture. Can you elaborate on this? Uh, sure. Yeah, I guess that's a mouthful, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, basically, yeah, you know, uh, so I, I wrote this book uh, a couple of years ago to talk about what I describe as the new chameleons. And of course, I'm referring to. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, back in the uh, 1950s or 1960s, if you wanted to to reach adult consumers, uh, you basically had two or three or four television stations and obviously radio stations to to do that. Um, today, we, when we fast forward, uh, we you know we have thousands of of stations, and most of them don't have anything very interesting on them, but we but we have them nonetheless. And and uh, and of course, with that famous internet thing, uh, you know it, what it's allowed us to do is is to really tailor and personalize the types of information that we receive. And what that means is that we're we no longer have to be bound by this mass market uh, segmentation approach Mm -hmm. where we basically try to uh, to appeal to a very large number of people who share some important characteristic like gender or age or something like that. What we see today is that people are much more proactive, especially younger people, but some of us old guys as well. Uh, really much more picking and choosing the types of images that we want to be, uh, you might say, as part of our feed, you know, uh, literally part of our feed mm-hmm. on social media. And and what that means is that uh, that today it it very often isn't that effective just to target this broad group of people. You really want to almost think about markets of one where mm-hmm. every one of your customers is in some way a unique a unique individual, and so they may they may overlap with with other people in your in your population, but they are going to have their own specific needs and, and desires. And and what's different from say twenty years ago 
is that people are much more uh, proactive about uh, about telling us what they want. And so it's much more of a conversation mm -hmm. between each individual customer and the marketer as opposed to, to this marketer just pushing out this uniform message to, to almost everyone and hoping that it resonates with a few people. It's a very different environment that we're in today. Mm. Absolutely. And leading on from that, you, you talk about young consumers having the hive hive mind. Yes. Well, the hive mind, I was actually making a little reference to Star Trek, if anyone, if there are any <laughs> people who follow that. Uh, my students don't know what Star Trek is, but uh, <laughs> uh, the hive mind refers to this notion that, you know, we, we like to think of ourselves as being very individual and, I you know, we make our own decisions. And of course, Back in the day in the 60s and 70s, it was all about do your own thing. Um, today, I don't think that's quite the case because so many of our decisions need to be validated by people in our networks. And so we're exposed to this constant kind of hum in the background of people mm -hmm. telling us, you know, you should check this out. Don't do this. Definitely go here. And when people are buying stuff, there's a tendency for them to uh, to involve others in that process, even as they're deliberating. So back in the day, it might be that you would go through all the traditional steps of decision making, uh, make a purchase, and then maybe show it to your friends and hope that they will. What we're seeing is that even for, uh, you know, ironically, the internet was supposed to make our lives so much easier. It actually creates a lot more work for us in a lot of cases because people yeah. are doing an enormous amount of homework. I wish my students did as much homework uh, <laughs> as, as they do trying to figure out where to go to dinner tomorrow night or what movie to see. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of checking in with your networks and getting that kind of validation uh, that we didn't used to have. We we didn't have access to it, of course, because we didn't have oh. that phone in our pockets. But today it's a totally different animal. Yeah. And I, and I think leading on from that, if I think back to, to my younger days, if I wanted to buy a new car, which I did several times, we would talk to a very small group of, of our circle and then yes. go to the dealer, maybe a couple of dealers and check a few out. We didn't have Google, of course. Whereas nowadays with social media, people can get the opinion of thousands of their contacts if if they want to, right? Yeah, exactly. big difference. And we have no idea how valid those opinions are, but many people. But I'll, I will just echo that sentiment, Peter, because when I go to purchase anything now, anything, I mean, it could be a small thing. It could be a tube of mascara. It could be a headset, anything. I look at reviews now and I will look at at least 50 of them. And I will look at the poor reviews first. <laughs> I want to see you know, I want to see what exactly are the negative reviews, the negative comments, and then I'll go back and read the good comments. Uh, but that's but that's me. But are you seeing that kind of trend as well, Michael? That's oh, so yeah, uh, un undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, Zoo uh, Google refers to it as the ZMOT, ZMOT, the zero moment of truth, uh, which is the moment when we when we commit to buying something, and what we're seeing is that that zero moment of truth we would spend, you know, days or weeks or whatever looking for options and then go to the store uh, and look at more options. Uh, today, uh, and my students, I often ask them to confirm this and they pretty much do. Um, by the time they walk into a retail store or perhaps go to a website, 
to purchase something, they already know what they're going to buy in many cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're really just doing maybe some price research or something like that. But their network, um, as you pointed out, Kathleen, you know, their their network, their hundreds of thousands of people have pretty much already pointed them to the decision they're going to make. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, you you also describe in your book uh, a series of basic dichotomies that we applied routinely no longer exist, such as, you know, producers versus consumers, online versus online, male versus female. Can you please expand on this idea and tell us why business owners should be interested in these fundamental changes? teach marketers to to take their population of potential customers and put them into some big boxes, uh, some big categories. Uh, and, and, and they can be as basic as male versus female, as you were saying, or old versus young, rich versus poor, et cetera. Uh, the problem is that, that when we put people into those boxes, the consumers today don't want to stay in those boxes. Those, those chameleons I'm referring to are, are crawling out of those boxes as quickly as we put them in because they don't want to be just labeled as, you know, say a 30 something woman. Therefore, I should have, I should be the same as all 30 something women. You know, they're much more, proactive. And so what we see is those basic categories uh, that we take for granted so much that we don't even question them are often obsolete and in fact may stand in the way of uh, of our business development. So I'll give you a very quick example. Um, you mentioned one dichotomy um, that we've had for, for a long time that many people are having, especially younger people, about what it means to be male versus female. Is there such a thing or is it more like a continuum? You know, and and how do we define it? And there's all these conversations about that. Um, So, for example, let's say that you're uh, that you make accessories for women, you know, like bracelets and bangles and things like that. Um, If you just assume that your market is only women, then you're potentially missing out because as social roles change, there are more and more men who are also uh, starting to consider it quite legitimate to wear accessories. Like, for example, this uh, this little thing I have around my, you know, around my wrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's an example where if you're in the fashion space and you're selling a product, you know, that you think is for men or for women, uh, very often you're missing out on a big chunk of the market dichotomies and show why it really is standing in your way very often because it's not keeping up with the way that people themselves uh, describe themselves or label themselves here in 2023. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I would say that we are seeing a huge change as well in call it segmentation of attitudes. And the example I would use is the the response to the recent uh, COVID situation. I've noticed because I have one viewpoint that pro or anti lockdowns, vaccines and everything else has cut right across political, left, right, conservative, liberal, uh, racial lines. And we're now seeing alliances between people who five years ago would never have considered being in the same thought camp as the other. So to me, that's a glaring example of how all these um, segmentations are breaking down or or blending um, outside of the normal lines. Yeah. And and one one the personal one I need a new computer soon, uh, than what most boomers would want, right? So again, another another example. 
Yeah, there's lots of great uh, examples. I discuss some of them in, in my book about uh, about product development and basically capitalizing on on developing a hybrid product that spans traditional categories. Mm-hmm. For example, yep. athleisure uh, is a combination of, of athletic wear and leisure wear. They've created a new category that's very lucrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a, uh, some products that have just come out. Uh, 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 Cola uh, beverage companies like Mountain Dew are now making uh, alcoholic drinks. So we have Mountain Dew hard seltzer. Suddenly oh. we, have, we, you know, suddenly we we had we had uh, be- you know uh, carbonated beverages, alcohol. Those are two different categories. Now they're put together. People don't know what to make of it, but but it creates opportunities because you don't have any direct competitors. Right, right. Uh, so the the three big American truck pickup truck manufacturers have capitalized on this rugged macho and a lot of women buy them too, uh, off-road, high clearance, wide wheels, all this. And yet I'm pretty sure 90% of those trucks never go off an asphalt road, right? And never get mud on them. So is that a, is that a, an example of some fairly clever marketing across categories there? Uh, yes. I mean, that's, you know, that that's actually a really good example of what we call aspirational marketing. You know, mm-hmm. we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're giving people the tools to do something they're probably not going to do, but not gonna do. they could do it if they if they absolutely had to, you know. Um, and, and I think that's true in, in many different categories. Right. Actually, what, what I you know, ironically and, and I think this is interesting. Uh, uh, what I found is that beginners in in a in an activity like, say, farming or whatever it is, skateboarding, uh, are more likely to buy the really fancy stuff old hand-me-downs and, and so on. But it, it's the people who are trying to learn that, let's say, become a skateboarder or what, you know, surfer or what have you. They're the ones that are the best prospects for, for lots of good stuff to help them play a new identity that they hadn't, yep. hadn't played before. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. So let's move on to your new course called Engage. Um, you were talking about why it's so important for engagement and you offer six hours of training for that. Now, it sounds like a, a fair bit. So do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, well, you know, engaging your customers is probably the single biggest challenge we face today. You know, when I, when I ask uh, managers, you know, what do you think is the biggest uh, issue in your lives? You know, they, they might think of, well, you know, big data or something like that. But, but I think the reality is that it's simply getting their attention. Because mm-hmm. we're all so diverted and distracted by all these things, and so just getting some for engagement. We we know that when customers are engaged, when they're really when something really matters to them and they're real, it's important to them. They're going to process information about it differently, and they're going to be much more proactive if they like the product about not only buying the product more, but advocating its use to other people. And so, so here's where that kind of, uh, you know, dis- distinction comes in. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Kathleen. Michael, your course is designed around the classic AIDA model of persuasion. So can you explain what that is and why should business yeah. understand how it works? Yeah, AIDA, it's just a little a- acronym. Uh, it means attention, desire, interest, <laughs> excuse me, um, attention interest desire and action uh, and 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 I did I built this course around it because uh, at each level in that model there are certain there are steps you know in this case there are these four steps 
a lot of people think that that overnight, as, you know, as soon as they they start their company, the next morning they're going to have all these avid people banging on the door, you know, wanting their product or service. And it really doesn't work that way. You know, there's there's uh, you know a funnel that you probably mm-hmm. often talk about funnels, and uh, but you need you need to go through this with your customers, and you you can't get someone to just be absolutely mad about your product if they've never even heard about the product. So usually the first step is building simple awareness. And that doesn't mean providing a lot of information about your product. It means just pretty much getting the name out there. It's like a a first time politician who has to put up a lot of uh, road signs, you know, just to get people used to seeing his or her name. Mm -hmm. So by building this engage course around this model, we're able to we're able to take someone from the, the early the very early stages. You know, what is this brand? I don't know what this is build the desire, which is really where we see these enormously powerful bonds between customers and some brands, not most brands, but mm-hmm. some brands. And if you can, that's the secret sauce that you want to try to create, or at least uh, make make more desire than is there to begin with. And at that point, then you have that final step of a call to action. But you can't just start doing that first thing. And so that that's why this course systematically takes us through each of the four stages. And then for each of those those stages, depending on where you are, uh, there are suggestions about ways to to tailor your messages and uh, uh, develop your products, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And depending on the product's purchase cycle or, or life cycle, those stages could be close together or even in some cases years apart, right? Absolutely. Yes. You know, one, one of the biggest uh, challenges I think that business people face is, is the pressure to, uh, to have results this quarter, as opposed mm-hmm. to a, a longer term perspective. And, and I understand if you're an entrepreneur, you may not have a longer term perspective, but right. uh, you know, at some level you need to dig in and start building equity for the long term because you know, just just promoting, let's say, based on uh, uh, price discount or something is not going to build. It may build awareness, but it's not going to build interest. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 quite right. So I, <clears throat> I've got one for you, Michael, which I ask all our successful guests. And, and you're clearly in that category. In your experience with all the business people, students and others you've worked with, it mean accumulating wealth i mean a balanced life with all that goes with it is it one thing or is it more complicated uh well it's always more complicated but but certainly i think one thing is simple persistence and not you know an inability to hear the word no yeah very good thank you for that that one yeah good kathleen so michael before we let you go can you please uh, tell our audience how they can get a hold of you uh, sure. I, I've got a website, which is just uh, michaelsolomon.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check me out on LinkedIn. And if anybody wants to contact me, the email is simply michael at michaelsolomon.com. And, and you, you can also find, if you're interested on the website, there are links to the book that you mentioned uh, and also that online course. Excellent. Kathleen, before you finish off, I, I we have a couple of minutes. I want to ask Michael another one, Absolutely. if I may. Mm-hmm. Michael, there's quite a lot of talk and engagement. Um, can you tell our audience any more about that? Well, that I mean, that's a key, uh, key part of engagement right there, obviously, is, is community. 
And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and often, especially today with in the era of Internet 2.0, where uh, we're not only getting information from companies, but we are sharing comp uh, information with them. Uh, a lot of the most potent arguments to buy a, a product or service are not coming from the company. They're coming from right. that community of sure. people. And so, uh, you know, there's that hive mind that we were discussing before, mm -hmm. uh, just even just getting assurance from others, being reassured that what you're about to buy is, is acceptable uh, is, is a very powerful thing. I mean, basically, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, every purchase we make is based on a desire to reduce risk of some kind. Uh, the, you know, the, it might be financial risk, it might be psychological risk, but of a community. Um, and again, for a couple of other reasons, you know, you have the famous 80-20 rule, if you're familiar with that, you know, where 80% yep. uh, of your of your uh, revenues come from 20% of your customers. That, that's Correct. your community right there. Uh, so not only are they going going to have more lifetime customer value, buying more from you over time. But they're also potentially a great sales force that those are the people sure. who are going to advocate for you. So so yeah. there's at least two great reasons uh, to to focus on building community. And a third, by the way, is getting feedback from that community mm -hmm. about how you're doing yeah. uh, both positive and negative. Yes. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. It was an absolute privilege having you on the show today. And once Likewise. again, thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. And would you have any questions about your business that you'd like to have answered? We have access to many experts on this show. So please let us know what topics you'd like to see. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit, visit us at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye.